Hello, it's Paul Scott here, uh, coming at you on the 6th of May 2023. This is Coronation Day, with uh, King Charles III being appointed. I've got it at the television on mute in the background, so I might get a bit distracted by all the bling. There's a nice man walking down in a blue robe covered in gold. So, yes, I'll try and keep focused on, on shares. So I thought, well, um, so yes, Paul Scott, I'm a, I'm a small cap specialist for people who don't know me. Um, been investing uh, full time for 21 years now. And prior to that, I was a CFO for a private clothing retail chain that we expanded from 16 shops to about 150 shops in the eight years that I ran the finances of that group. Uh, oh, yes, sorry, slight technical problem there. So, um, yeah, Coronation Day, all very nice for those of us who um, like having an unelected hereditary head of state. I think it actually works rather well, So, but I won't get into that. Everyone's got their own opinions. We had uh, the bank holiday on Monday, May Day, which was nice, so just a four-day week. Graham and I hit the ground running on Tuesday, the 2nd of May. We looked at nine companies in the small cap value reports, which are obviously uh, <coughs> only available on stockopedia.com. Uh, an absolutely brilliant subscription service, which is full of all sorts of other things as well. Um, lots of data and the stock rank system is absolutely brilliant. And we've just got a great community there where the reader comments add as much value as the reports, I think. So... Okay, so that's a quick plug for um, the small cap value reports. So first of all, I looked at restaurant group, RTN. Now, <clears throat> this has got to be my the worst announcement of the week. Why is it that when I start recording, I go all croaky? I was fine before. Anyway, look, restaurant group, it does uh, Frankie and Benny's, and it it changed itself dramatically by buying Wagamama. Um, terrible long-term track record this group has of destroying shareholder value. I just don't think it's a very good business. Um, well, anyway, they put out this ridiculous trading update on Tuesday that, I mean, it's got to be one of the worst updates I've ever read. It was saying that it was, um, you know, that the company's trading well. Here we are. I've just scrolled down. So they provided a, they headed it up saying encouraging trading momentum. It was for the first four months of 2023. Then they put a table up which showed very good like-for-like like, um, sales, stripping out la the benefit last year of the VAT subsidy, which is fine. I think that's a valid... That does make it like-for-like, like, because it was the tail end of the COVID support last year. Between 9 and 10% like-for-like like revenue growth. 9 and 10%, which, I mean, that's only in line with inflation, isn't it? So... It's not really something to get excited about, but it's a hell of a lot better than plenty of other companies reporting right now in retail and hospitality. So I thought to myself, OK, this is a really good update. But this is where they ruin it. A bit further down, they say it's very encouraging trading. So now it's not just encouraging, it's very encouraging. So which is it? It's already contradicted itself. Now you get to the uh, outlook period. And it says, oh, here we are. This is a bit where it says current trading continues to be very encouraging. Great. Uh, the group is delivering £5 million of incremental annualised cost savings. Good. Yeah. Now, this is the bit that's really got up my goat. It says this combination of encouraging current trading and incremental cost savings provides confidence that TRG is tracking ahead of management expectations 
on its medium-term margin accretion and deleveraging plans. What a load of codswallop! Who wrote that? Tracking ahead of management expectations should have been it, shouldn't it? But they haven't. They've then tacked on this on its medium-term margin accretion and deleveraging plans. So, in other words, that's not telling us how the company's trading overall at all. It's just, oh, there's Tony Blair and Cherie Blair. Um, sorry. Um, yeah, let's get back to this. So, uh, <coughs> really, really bad. I've just called it weasel words here, because they obviously didn't want to say that we're trading in line with expectations, which raises the question of why. Oh, and John Major, which raises the question of why. Why won't they just directly tell it? That's what all the trading statement needs to say. It needs to say, it could just be one sentence saying, we are tracking in line with market expectations for the full year. That's all the trading statement needs to say. Instead, they've padded it out with all this other stuff and ducked and refused to say, and the people writing these things know what they're doing. They know precisely what they're doing. So that wasn't an accidental omission. You know, I'm really cross about this because it wasted about an hour of my time on Monday trying to read this, reread it. Have I missed something? Have I misunderstood this? Just absolute codswallop, this, this update from Restaurant Group. So it wasted a lot of time. Anyway, look, the market didn't seem to care and the shares went up about 10%. I do flag below that below the, the headline bit that Restaurant Group really, I mean, it's still in a bit of a mess. It's got an incredibly weak, over-geared balance sheet. Net tangible asset is horrible. It's really uh, badly negative, I think. Where is it in the report? Oh, here we are. Net tangible asset value, when you've written off all the goodwill, is minus 224 million. That's crazy. Um, So uh, the whole thing is reliant on a lot of uh, debt. You get quite a favourable working capital profile with with hospitality sector though because they're selling for cash and then they're paying their suppliers maybe 60 days later and the staff uh, you know at the end of the month and so on so the working capital does work favorably for uh for um for this sector so you know i could tolerate a moderately negative balance sheet but not 224 million negative so anyway um what did I do? Graham previously marked this as red. Um, what did I do? Let's have a look. Oh, it's somewhere at the top. I think I marked it amber. Yeah, I, I ducked the issue and just marked it amber. The reason for that is that, it, you know, the, 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 the it's obviously doing quite well in terms of its revenues. That is going to, um, I think, probably cut the curry favour with, with, um, with investors who are probably less worried about the balance sheet. A lot of people don't even look at balance sheets or even think about it. And ultimately, if a company is trading well, which we assume restaurant group is, even though it won't tell us directly, um, that, um, you know, the, the, the debt becomes less of an issue. Anyway, I'm rambling. Let's up the pace. Cars, Graham looked at that, was interim results, nothing, no great shakes either way. He's amber on that. Now, I looked at Kitwave. I really like this. It was an H1 trading update. It's a wholesaler. Uh, with very experienced founder management that's buying up other small wholesalers. A lot of the sector are are independents. And uh, it's trading slightly ahead of expectations. I think it's a really interesting share, Kitwave, K-I-T-W. I don't hold any myself, but I think it's a good, decent growth at reasonable price 
share. You always think with these things that are that are making acquisitions, can they? Are they building? Are they integrating and managing the acquisition as well, or are they just creating a giant mess of lots of businesses that are all doing their own thing? So that would be quite interesting to dig into that question. Now Graham looked at another little share that we quite like called Facilities by ADF. The ticket is ADF. This supplies hire, uh, sort of a heavy heavy goods hire for the film, TV and film industry. So all the um, all the ancillary facilities on 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 site, you know, um, will be these vehicles, mobile changing rooms, makeup uh, parlors. <laughs> I'm struggling with my words today, aren't I? But you know the sort of thing that trailers parked up where. The, 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 the actors and actresses get pampered in, uh, after filming and so on. Anyway, facilities by ADF, nice little business, good profitability, uh, reasonable price, we like that one. Now, quick comments, we looked at plant healthcare, PHC, this is a load of rubbish, uh, profit warning, I've just barge-polled it. Uh, actually, I went barge-pole on it in 2015, and Graham looked at it again in 2017 and didn't have cause to amend our negative view on it it's still soldiering on but it hasn't uh, it just makes losses every year absolute load of, load of tripe plant health care is so um, that's no good another one that I think is rubbish is tribal group TRB this is the educational software business that just constantly seems to screw things up and anyway they've now had a damages claim in from the Singapore, Singapore client who basically rejected the software it wasn't properly implemented by the looks of it and the client just rejected it so um that's incredibly bad i would never buy a software company where that happens so i just think it's too accident prone it's gone nowhere in 22 years as a listed company um but i have commented here though that even some of the worst software companies with terrible track records seem to receive takeover bids um two i can think of in the recent years were tungsten which was just an awful company totally missed all its uh, forecasts that was eddie trill who set that thing up with talks of billions and trillions all turned out to be hot air and uh, but somebody came along and bid for it proactus phd was another one where it just kept uh, disappointing over and over again somebody came along and bid for it so there does seem to be still uh, a lot of interest in software companies no matter how bad they are so you never know with tribal you could get lucky and get put out of your misery. And what else? Oh, another software company doing badly, MadeTech, MTEC. Now, this is a nasty profit warning here. This was from the um, from the crop of dismal floats in 2021, nearly all of which have gone disastrously wrong. Um, so, yeah, this was a pretty bad profit warning. Um, clients moved the start date of work packages, so forecast profits have dropped dramatically. I don't think it's any good. I wouldn't waste your time with MedTech. Now, Vionet, V-N-E-T, this is a little thing um, that the core business is the Brewlines Beer Flow Monitoring System, the spy in the cellar, as uh, pub landlords call it. Anyway, not a bad update. Up 11%, the shares have risen to 78p. Um, but I looked at the broker notes on this, and... Um, it hardly makes any profit, you know. Only It's only forecast to make half a million adjusted PBT for March 2023. Um, and they're capitalising an awful lot into um, onto the balance sheet of development spend. So I would urge people to not get carried away with Vionet and 
have a proper look at the numbers. <clears throat> now, totally, this is an interesting company, TLY. This provide it's had various permutations, but currently it's quite an interesting business actually, doing outsourced services for the NHS. Um, and it has quite a few contracts. Now it's down ninety percent. It's nine uh, percent. Sorry, it's dropped a lot. It's only about twenty p now. Forty million market cap. Trading update for March twenty twenty three. I'm Amber on this. Um, <clears throat> it says EBITDA is in line with consensus market expectations, but it did warn that there are going to be exceptional costs to restructure, restructure and to deal with inflation, which makes me wonder whether they've got their, these contracts set up right. You know, if, if, if they're having to restructure and worry about costs, then that says to me the contracts that they've got with the NHS may not be particularly well set up. So that's certainly the big question mark over that one. I do think it sounds potentially interesting, though, so maybe have a look at Totally. Right, on to Wednesday the 3rd of May, 2023, Small Cap Valley Report... On this day, we looked at eight companies. Um, <clears throat> what did we look at? Loads more, actually, were left over, but we, we did catch up on a few of them in subsequent days. Well, Super Dry, oh, announced the equity fundraise. That wasn't a surprise. They'd previously flagged that this was going to be done, and it was in line with what they'd previously said. So it's priced at a 10% discount, only 76.3 pence per share, uh, and it's 20% dilution. It's only going to raise £12 million. Now, there was a, I, I haven't looked at the update for whether it completed. I'm sure it did. Let me just take my coffee bag out of my coffee. Oh, I ran out of coffee this morning, but luckily found one remaining coffee bag, which is not very nice, but it's caffeine. So what else? Um, yeah, no great shakes on this, on this super, dry, super dry equity fundraise. It was as expected. I don't think it's out of the woods yet. I, I'm steering clear of super dry because... It's not. It's just not performing very well, and the founder CEO is obviously very committed to it. No doubt about that. He he uh, underwrote the uh, equity placing, but you know he's just uber bullish all the time. And then you get the numbers and think, well, it's losing money. It's not trading at all well. So um, I don't think you can rely on anything he says. You just have to look at the numbers and ignore the commentary. I would say. Uh, it's not out of the woods. For me personally, I'm waiting for this £34 million net uh, proceeds from an IP sale in the Far East to actually arrive and be in the bank account. But something about that deal doesn't smell right to me. I can't put my finger on it, but anyway, I want to see the money in the bank. <coughs> and then I think <coughs> Superdrive would become investable again. It does only need borrowings on a seasonal basis. Um and I think the lender, it sounds like the lender's getting a little bit jittery as well. So, yeah, you could multi-bag on Superdrive if it really, really uh, turns around properly, which it could do. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm completely open-minded on all, all these companies. You just look at how they're performing and you form a judgment based on that. Could be a nice uh, turnaround at a multi-bagger, or it could just continue drifting, grinding down. We'll have to wait and see, won't we? Now, we looked at Videndum. This is ticker VID. This does... Um, I don't really understand the product. Some, something connected to the broadcasting industry. Uh, it put out a mild profit warning um, and it's down 9%. Not a disaster. Uh, but it was a bit vague um, and I can't get hold of any broker updates. So, 
you know, I can't assess things if, if the broker notes are inaccessible. Seems like a big uh, uh, own goal when companies management don't make sure that Research Tree or you know the paid for commissioned research houses are putting research out there. You know, you you your market cap on Vedendum is now down to three hundred thirty three million, so it's really a small cap now. Um, and you know, private investors are the market. We set the price. We create the market liquidity. So you need to get research notes out out to us. This is companies generally, and I think it's a glaring omission when management don't seem to be aware that that's part of their job as a listed company to keep the market, which is the small investors, to keep us informed. You know, we set your share price. So, oh God. This really, I'm, I'm doing. I'm going to Victor Meldrew mode, as one of my readers accused me of. Anyway, Graham looked at Reach. We're keeping an eye on this. This is the former Trinity Mirror, RCH newspaper group, and uh, its digital advertising has gone into reverse, obviously because of the macro picture. It was an inline trading update, potentially interesting for a recovery, but you've always got to bear in mind the whacking great um, pension deficit. Graham did a very nice review of that. So see Wednesday's report. Oh, shut up. So um, now TI Fluid Systems, Graham looked at that, couldn't really understand why it was up 15% on um, no change to its outlook. Uh, It's interesting, but it's got a lot of debt, I think is our conclusion on that. Now I looked at Card Factory results, here we are, this is for January 2023. I really like this, actually I should have made this a mystery share. Um, I don't know why, but it went from £1.10 down to about £1.2. This week, despite the fact that it put out inline results, I think a lot of traders are on this share. It's Cockney Rebel, my friend Richard Crow, it's his biggest position, and he's made a very, very good case for the company in, in various podcasts, and he's got his own blogging site now as well. Um, and I think he's right. You know, I went through all the numbers, and I can't see anything wrong with Card Factory. I'm much more relaxed about its balance sheet. Now it's trading really decently profitably again. Um, all the numbers are clean, I've put here. The valuation's still quite modest, but I think because there are so many traders who are in this thing looking for a pop in share price, and it's already risen quite a lot, maybe they're just banking their profits. I don't know. But I have to say, I take more of a medium-term view on, on shares that I look at. So I'm typically trying to assess the business model and thinking forward maybe two or three years. And I think on that, that's the way I really... All my comments are kind of based on that assumption. And... Uh, I have to say, I think Card Factory looks really good. Yeah, so I'm, I've I've given it a, a, a green opinion, and I can't see anything wrong with it. And I think the PE is only about eight, which uh, it looks good. Now, Lords Trading, I've looked at a couple of times in the past, and generally taken a favourable view of it. This is quite interesting. <coughs> it's Lords Trading, L O R D. It does. Uh, Well, it's a building merchant, basically, and it's doing lots of acquisitions. Uh, I like the whole business model here. What they're saying is it's a very, very fragmented space. Um, I think they said 40% of builders' merchants are independent. And there obviously comes a point where owners want to retire um, or just, you know, go on to do something else. And so uh, there's there's a very clear role for a consolidator in that sector, which Lord's Trading is 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 doing so i've marked it green but i do have one big reservation here that is that the shareholder register is very concentrated um i think the founder and the family own you know control it so you've got to be you've got to be terribly careful with the we saw with 
I Energizer, didn't we, recently, where the founder held 83%, just suddenly announced it was going to delist. And the share price, share price there has absolutely collapsed. Um, so I think, I think, personally, I don't normally touch things where you've got a totally dominant major shareholder. And I Energizer was a very extreme example. But I think it has woken us all up to the, to the risk that's lurking with all these things that have floated where the founders and previous private shareholders are still in complete control, you don't know what they're going to do. So you do have to ultimately trust the major shareholders, but they might just change their mind and say, look, it's a waste of time being listed, which for a lot of these companies right now it is, because there's no liquidity and valuations are low. Um, That's what happens in bear markets, isn't it? And sometimes companies will think, well, we're not getting any benefit from the listing. So delisting is a big theme Uh, at the moment that we've we've talked about a lot in the small cap value reports. So I personally think it's best to stay away from companies where you've got overly dominant major shareholders. Even though I do like Lord's Trading, it's a pity because it's a nice business, I think. Now, I looked at Barrett Developments, the house builder, BDEV. I know it's for nearly five billion market cap, but I often report on big retailers and big house builders in the small cap value report for read across to so we can it gives us the context of how the housing market's going and basically all the big house builders are saying the same thing at the moment that actually you know they had this real hiatus last autumn with the mini budget and the huge hike in interest rates and so on but that actually you know there's been a steady recovery since then and they're they're all sounding quite um, upbeat you've also got now the government mooting possibly bringing back the help to buy scheme uh, and you know, regulars will know that I've been bullish on the house on the, the house building sector now for a while. I seem to mention it every week here, and I think I think they're, they're, some of them are still very good. My pick, my sector picks would be Persimmon, uh, ticker PSN, and MJ Gleason GLE, which does uh, small, cheap starter homes in the Midlands and the North. Gleason does. Uh, both. I'm really picking those two for for, uh, for valuation reasons. I think. Some of the other house builders have recovered 50% plus in some cases from the autumn low, but Persimmon and Gleason have seen more muted recovery, so I think, I think they're still cheap. And you've got the lovely balance sheet backing with these things and net cash. It's completely different to previous, previous downturns because of that asset packing. Following on from that, I looked at Wix, WIX. I like that. I'm, I rated that green, my opinion. Home improvement stores, of course. It traded in line. Expectations, and uh, I quite like the way different parts of the Wix business seem to balance each other. You know, downturn in one, and then another bit does well. Cost savings, outlook confident. I like it. I, I like Wix. I know people will say, "Oh, you know, there's downturn in DIY and blah blah blah," but you see, I, as I say, I'm looking two or three years forward. I think Wix and Eurocell, ECEL, which is in some ways quite similar, pr- providing building materials. I think they're both really cheap, but I don't know how they're going to perform this year. You know, it's like with everything, <coughs> you could see profit warnings and, uh, uh, before a recovery as, as demand normalises and cost inflation hopefully goes into reverse for the products. And there'll be big beneficiaries, remember, from lower freight costs. These type of businesses like Wix and Eurocell, I, I, I imagine, are importing large bulky items from the Far East. So the cost of freight, having dropped 90% from the peak, uh, is going to be very, very nice for these guys' margins. So I suspect they could continue trading in line, even if demand is weak, because they're benefiting from a better 
gross margin and lower freight costs. So, yeah, I remain, I think Wix and Eurocell are both very nice companies, good solid balance sheets, should do well if you just tuck them away and forget about them in two or three years' time. You'll probably be 50 to 100% up, I think. I think that's true of lots of companies right now. I think the, the small cap space is just teeming with bargains if you're prepared to look through the shorter term um, macro issues. Right, moving on then to Thursday, 4th of May, 2023. Another busy day. We did seven companies. Some really interesting things to get our teeth stuck into this week, actually. I've enjoyed doing the reports this week. I looked first at the profit warning from Vino, V-I-N-I, which is Virgin Wines. Now, the market cap there is only down to about £20 million. Very cheap now, and it's got a good, solid balance sheet. So, I... Hmm, how can I say this without being too rude? I mean, I don't think it's a very good business, if I'm honest. Well, we're always honest, but um, which gets me into trouble sometimes. Uh, the, the attraction for Virgin Wine shares now, I think, is that it could be a, a trade rather than a long-term hold for a bounce. Uh, it looks like the main problems are behind it now, I think. So, um, But, yeah, it is a profit warning, So, uh, but I think it's getting into buying range now and and it's still profitable they're saying for what is it june 2023 year end um they've lowered profit guidance again virgin wines has to between half a million and a million pounds okay not great but it's still profitable uh it's got a lovely balance sheet and it sits on all the client um funds which it keeps in a segregated account which is very ethical naked wines doesn't do that uh excuse me um Now, I think the targets it's setting for the following year look a bit ambitious to me. I'm um, So I give the bull and the bear case in, in, in Thursday's article on Virgin Wines. Could be a nice little trade, that one. Oh, bad luck to... I know a lot of my friends hold Zytronic, ZYT. This is the niche touchscreens manufacturer that makes relatively small batches of bespoke um, touchscreens. Very nice business historically, but the issue with this share was long-term projects um, gradually ending. It had it, the previous profitability was very good for Zytronic, nice profitable dividend-paying share that also accumulated a big cash pile. And but the business model seemed to to be for recurring orders for cash point machine screens, um, gaming machines for casinos, and a couple of other niches. And then when those product products came to end of life, they weren't replaced. So the revenues now have really shrunk. It used to do something like 20, 25 million revenues and was nicely profitable. That's now down to between the latest expectations, between 8 and 9 million revenue this year, which is pretty uh, awful, isn't it? It was 12 million last year. So the recovery hasn't happened here. And they're blaming significant turmoil in the gaming market, apparently a big... Um, customers gone bust or something. I haven't looked at it in in detail, uh, but anyway the shares dropped about 30% despite the balance sheet uh, support. They're now down to about a pound 10 million, but you have got the nice asset backing there. Should it really remain a listed company? No, in all honesty. So I think um, we need to have a big clear out. There are just too many, far too many companies small caps that really it's pointless than being listed. I'd like to see the market really thin down to maybe about half the current number of listed companies in the UK. Let's have better quality um, but fewer listed companies rather than all these things that are just sort of hobbling along 
trying to stay afloat. Uh, here we are, cash, 5.4 million. So that's about half the market cap for Zytronic. So unfortunately, it's not looking very good for, for Zytronic. But, you know, when sitting on a big cash pile, at least you know it's not going to go bust. What else? Right, Graham looked at Morgan Sindel, MGNS. This is a construction regeneration group uh, in line with expectations update. Massive order book, 8.8 billion. Now, I, we, we wanted to flag up here, Morgan Sindel is one of the top companies, I think, for disclosures, who report average daily net cash or average daily net debt. Uh, this is a key number that I'm really pushing hard to try and get uh, companies to all disclose because a, a year-end snapshot on one day of the year telling us what your net cash or net debt is is, me- is pretty meaningless because it's so easy to window dress that, just delay paying your suppliers till the foot the day after the balance sheet date. And, you know, this all, I used to do it when I was an FD. We always showed a lovely, healthy net cash position at the year end and on the year end date because I'd given all the, all the suppliers post-dated checks to pay them the day after. Perfectly legal, um, but it's, it's called window dressing. And, you know, it's just sensible to window dress your balance sheet because people work out the ratios and they assume that the balance sheet date is, oh, there's Prince Harry. <laughs> oh, he turned up. Hmm. Anyway, uh, <coughs> so top marks to Morden Sindel and their advisors for quoting average daily net cash. We need that from everyone, so all companies do that, please. Uh, now, Graham says he hasn't studied the stock in detail, but he's giving it a tentative thumbs up. <coughs> I actually pointed out to Graham that he hadn't said anything about valuation, but the key thing about Morgan Sindel is that it's on a low PE of 7.5, and I think the dividend yield is about 6% which we didn't mention in the report, but he did add an additional sentence saying that the PE was low. And one of the readers, actually, funnily enough, in the in the comments section mentioned that Morgan Sindel has a nice dividend yield. So that looks quite interesting if you're prepared to look at uh, very low-margin construction groups, which generally I don't. Next, put out a Q1 trading update that was fine. Again, that's a bellwether for the retail sector, so I always look at that. I'm amber on it. Um... P of 13 is about right for next, but uh, as always, you know, they put out really good guidance and said, I think they said they're slightly ahead of guidance. They're expecting a pretty slow Q2, uh, which is because of a, a number of factors, particularly the prior year comps were more tough. So business as usual from next, very nice quality business, but I can't see why you'd want to pay more than a P of 13 for it. So I think it's just fairly priced. I think that was... Oh, no, we've got a few other... Oh, Smith News, SNWS. A couple of friends asked me to look at this. We've looked at it a lot in the the past. I did a really detailed uh, write-up on its interim results, digging into all the issues there. So see Thursday's report. The main attraction, obviously, is your 8% dividend yield, and that could go up a lot once the bank facility restrictions come off because the debt is coming down nicely. So, you know, this could be paying a, a double-digit dividend yield in the not-too-distant future, but you have to decide how long can it maintain that level of profitability, because Smith's, Smith's, Smith's News distributes um, newspapers and magazines. Obviously, the cover prices have gone up quite a lot, which has meant revenue was flat, but it, it's kind of indicating that <clears throat> the trend of, of declining revenues is likely to resume. So, I don't know. <clears throat> I've, I've covered it in quite a balanced way, looking at all the bull points and the bear points. So I was quite pleased with that section on Thursday's report. Oh, here's another interesting one that readers asked me to look at. Ashted Technology, AT, full stop. 
This is a recent float that's done very well. The share price is really uh, on a tear at the moment. Uh, <coughs> really excellent results. It's published for December 22 year. Uh, oh dear, I've just seen a typo. I haven't put in the colour. I think I'd probably be amber on this. Very, very good numbers. 20 times, uh, 20 times PE ratio for the 2022 numbers. Materially ahead of expectations for 2023 so far. So this company is seemingly trading its socks off. Um, it's, it's a higher equipment hire company to, I think, the offshore oil and wind farm industry. So it looks... Oh, excuse me. It looks like they're getting a bit of a bonanza from probably all these wind farms that are covering the North Sea now. But I do have some questions about it. <coughs> excuse me. I'm not saying anything's wrong, but I just thought it was strange that it's making so much profit from a tiny asset base. Uh, net tangible asset value is only 9.8 million, and the actual fixed assets are very old. They're um, uh, largely depreciated, and I've gone through the numbers here. Here we are at the end of 2021. It had 105 million of original cost assets, but 86 million cumulative depreciation, so that's only 19 million NAV for the hire fleet, and then somehow managing to make, what was it, 16 million profit from that hire uh, fleet. So that's almost um, getting on for 100% return on book value, profitability, which, I don't know, just looks weird to me. I don't, you know, I would have expected to see a much, much bigger hire fleet for a company that's making all this money, which makes me wonder... Is it getting some sort of short-term bonanza that will then be eroded by competitors once they've bought similar equipment, perhaps? So that's the key question for Ashton Technology. But in the meantime, the figures are fantastic. Graham looked at Mothercare and gave that... Uh, he did an absolute demolition job on that. You can see why when you read um, Thursday's report. I think that was it. Let's just make sure I've covered everything. Scrolling back up. Smith News next. Yeah, that was everything for Thursday. Friday was a quiet day. Only really two news uh, items on Friday, both of which I covered. TPX Impact. Now, it's put out a, a quite a positive-sounding trading update, but it still hasn't fixed its banking problems. It got a waiver of its bank covenants on 31st of March. TPX Impact used to be called the Panoply. It's gone horribly wrong. It was a, a, a glamour stock doing, um, doing mainly public sector, I think, IT projects. Yeah, and the wheels have come off, basically, and it's all gone wrong. So uh, it breached its banking covenants, but the bank gave it a waiver on the last day. Talk about cutting it fine. I would say, and they still haven't... The latest update is all very good. You know, we're raising raising guidance for revenue. We think we can get the EBITDA margin up to 6%. It's currently 3%. Um, but I went through the numbers, and there was no improvement from H1 to H2. Um, very modest level of profitability in both H1 and H2. And, you know, the new business wins business wins are great. It's previously announced two massive contracts with the government. But, you know, these are competitive tenders. And when you're dangling by a thread, breaching your bank covenants, I would suggest there's a good chance that you'll start pitching in for big contracts on terms that are not particularly favourable because you're just desperate to get the business, you know? And that buys time to refinance and so on. I don't know. That's just a risk. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Nobody does. 
Anyway, so I'm a bit. I'm still sceptical on on TPX Impact. It's got to sort its bank governance and its lending position. I wouldn't be surprised if it does a fundraise. I think you know, quite a, banks are not <coughs> are not lending. Uh, they're not risk lenders. That's it's equity that take the risk. Debt providers don't want to be taking risk, and they've got equity style risk now at TPX Impact. <coughs> and that for two things, they want more money for that, so they want to uh, you know increase the fees. And arrangement fees are often very substantial with bank facilities. Probably put in a distressed rate of interest as well, because it is a distressed situation. And they may well insist that the company raises some fresh equity, which you don't want to be doing that from a position of weakness. So, of course, when you get these flurry of positive trading updates and contract win announcements, you think to yourself, yeah, they're trying to butter us up so that they can get a placing away. So I, I'm, I'm a bit sceptical on TPX Impact until it fixes its balance sheet. And that actually brings me on to Chromec, because I didn't report on this because it happened late, but KMK, surprise, surprise, it's done another placing. Um, 140 million shares at 5p, so that's going to raise 7 million. Uh, 5p is obviously a discount. They were trying to talk it up recently. This is a great example, actually, of putting out all these bullish updates and, oh, you know, you know, but none of them are actually relate to making any profit. <laughs> but it's, oh, you know, we're engaged with customers. We've got the best pipeline in ages, all this sort of thing. And you think, yeah, I looked at the balance sheet and saw they were out of cash. So I flagged up to the readers um, previously, quite recently, that look, this thing's got to get a placing away to be considered investable. And sure enough, the placing announcement's, what, 20 30% discount. So um, it's just better to wait till they've got the fundraisers away, isn't it? Then you, lo- you, you can buy in at a lower price and the risk is reduced. So Chromac might have something interesting there. I wouldn't completely dismiss it. And now that it's got the finances are in the process of being sorted out, might be worth... Uh, a, a fresh look. Goodwin GDWN is a share I like announced a proposed tender offer but I think it was only a very small one so that was Friday, sorry I didn't get around to doing backlog items, I just kind of ground to a halt on Friday, it sometimes happens, so we've got lots of things um, that were left over from last week I might take a look at them on the bank holiday actually, I haven't really got anything planned for Monday coming, so okay, and um Oh, I'll just end with a quote from a lovely 109-year-old woman who was on the news yesterday talking about coronations, because, of course, she remembers not just Queen Elizabeth's coronation, but I think the one or maybe two prior to that as well. She was born in 1914. Amazing woman on the news this was. I think it was the local news. Fully with it, completely, uh, you know... um, got all their faculties completely and sh- and they said what advice as a 109 year old what advice would you give to our viewers and she just very quietly and sweetly said do all the good you can and then she expanded on that but that was the that was the crux of it do all the good you can i thought that was an absolutely lovely quote from someone who's lived a, a long and full life and when when they asked her what she can you remember what you were doing when the queen was uh, was was coronated is that a word she said yes I was doing the ironing <laughs> so on that note I will sign off I uh, hope you enjoy the uh, coronation of our new head of state and uh, yes it's all an excuse for a bit of a party isn't it so uh, right I'll record the macro thing now bye.